Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lonely Shereen Podcast. I mean, I'm your host for this podcast. So, season four. How did we get here? Holy fucking shit. Wow. You know, we obviously shouldn't have been on season four because I was planning to at least do four more episodes of uh, season three, but then I realized I couldn't take my uh, recording equipment with me back home. So we're, we've we've gotten to season four a little earlier than uh, I planned, but I am no less excited to be here because, you know, as you know, I started this as like a hobby to like get me through quarantine and like obviously well here in Canada at least we're gonna kind of going back into a mini sort of uh quarantine uh even my school is starting online for two weeks which I'm hoping it's only two weeks because I really liked being in person anyway I I never thought I'd get to four seasons at all so just want to thank you guys so much for your support in the last three seasons and I hope we have a really great fourth season I'm really excited to talk about all the women I have planned for season four maybe perhaps and this might be a controversial controversial take kids but this could be the best season yet hmm what do you what do you guys think it could be or just feeling it a little bit yeah Okay, so uh, let me talk a bit about what's happened to me over the last uh, couple of weeks. So um, I went home for Christmas. I was uh, very lucky to be able to go home for Christmas. My parents came down here and got me and uh, drove me back home. We did it all in one day, by the way. It was like a 14-hour trip. But, like, it wasn't – actually, wasn't really that bad. I always find going back home is, like, really, really fast, like, faster than coming back here. So that that was good. I actually really enjoyed that. And I literally spent like, I think three weeks at my parents' house, just like literally like super duper doing nothing. <laughs> Except for on Christmas, obviously we did stuff. And speaking of Christmas, I got a MacBook. I know, super, I know, it's a lot of privilege. Um, but literally the only reason I got it is because I used my mom's logic against her. Hmm, I know, so smart. So my little brother uh, got this like, like electric scooter so that he could go like get to and from work which like you know practical purchase but now he doesn't have a job and that $1,200 scooter is now sitting in the basement so I made the argument that since I was going to get a new computer anyway for Christmas that I want a MacBook and if you can reasonably spend like $1,200 on a scooter that your son doesn't even use anymore because he doesn't have a job then you can buy me a MacBook that I'm going to use a lot for school. (laughs) and then she bought it for me I also was able she also got a $200 discount which probably also made her feel a little better about purchasing the MacBook with point is I got it I love it I'm using it to record right now my mic is uh plugged in to my Mac with the help of an adapter because I realized this thing does not have a USB port awkward uh but I really enjoy it all right enough about me you guys guys are never here here about what I've been doing uh today we are talking about the infamous the sexy the beautiful Catherine howard fifth wife of henry the eighth and uh since we're on her that means we're almost done our six queens series 
kind of sad about it. I really enjoyed going through all of Henry VIII's wives. After this, we only have Catherine Parr, which is going to be sad. Hmm. But, you know, we'll get, we'll get plenty of more times in the future to talk about the Tudor period. I mean, there's more than just Henry's six wives around him in this time period. There's so many other women around Henry in his life that I'll get to talk about, like his sisters and his daughters. Um, now, speaking of Catherine, uh, you may know her, you may not. I, I feel like she's like probably one of the most obscure wives of Henry VIII. Like, she, I don't, I've never met anyone who who says that Catherine Howard is their number one wife. Like, I feel like she always hits the bottom of the list. But I really like her. She's she's high up on my list. She's at least number three of, of my favorites. She, she's in third place. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about her because I honestly didn't know much about her, her background other than, like, the things I've heard. So let's get into it, guys. Okay, so Catherine Howard was born at some point uh, between 1521 to 1525, probably in Lambeth, England, to Lord Edmund Howard and Lady Joyce Culpepper. Now, figuring out when Catherine was born is a very difficult because like of some like some of Henry's previous wives, like Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour, it, what, it just wasn't a thing to write down the birth dates of daughters in nobility because birthday parties like weren't a thing really for nobility. It was mostly for royalty. So no one needed to remember when this like random girl was born. <laughs> and, you know, Catherine was no exception to this rule. Now, the best guess we have is that she may have been born in 1524 because wills created by some of her relatives use this as her birth year. And be because it makes me feel like slightly more comfortable with, you know, the age she would have been in a lot of the situations in this story. L let's go with 1524, you know, just to make everyone feel mildly comfortable. Okay, so to start off, let's discuss Catherine's family and her ancestry. Now, we have talked about the Howard family before in the Anne Boleyn episode, but here is a bit more of like an in-depth look at one of England's most powerful families, of which Catherine is, of course, a part of. Now, the Howards had particularly uh, lowly origins in England until a man named Sir Robert Howard married uh, Lady Margaret de Mowbray, who was the daughter of the first Duke of Norfolk. And when that line died out, Robert's son John became the new Duke, not to mention uh, he had royal ancestry thanks to his mother being the three times great-granddaughter of King Edward I of England and his second wife, Margaret of France. So the Howard family had some royal blood in their veins uh, by the 15th century and over the next century. Uh, they would uh, girl boss just a bit too close to the sun, <laughs> which, you know, girl bossing a bit too close to the sun should just be the motto of House Howard. A lot of them girl bossed a bit too close to the sun. Um, anyway, let's talk about Catherine's parents, Edmund and Joyce, uh, starting with uh, Edmund. Now, her father was born in 1478 and was the third son of Thomas Howard's second Duke of Norfolk and his first wife, Elizabeth Tilney. Now, Edmund was one out of like nearly 20 siblings and only being the third son of the family, he wasn't really getting any limelight or like even any money like at all. So he just kind of, you know, stayed in the background most times, like, like no one expected anything from this kid. Um, he was never close with uh, King Henry VIII, like his two older brothers was. Uh, he was never given super important jobs at court. He mostly just kind of like vibed <laughs> in the Tudor court. Like he, he just didn't do much. He, he floated off the good grace that like his Howard name brought him. Like people were like, oh, you're a Howard? Cool. 
He wants stuff, you know, that's what he did. He, he lived off nepotism, basically. Now, because he was so poor, because he was the third son and wasn't getting any inheritance, he decided to marry um, Catherine's mother, who was a wealthy widow, but, you know, even, even her money didn't really help because Edmund was fucking terrible at managing money, which is probably why no one ever let him do any jobs. Um, <laughs> probably. Now, now that we've met Catherine's um character of a father. Uh, let's talk about Mama Joyce. Now, Mama Joyce was born in 1480 to Sir Richard Culpepper and Elizabeth Worsley. Um, as a child, Joyce was named a co-heir along with her brother, which meant she would get money and a part of her father's land when he died. She firstly married uh, Ralph Leahy, who was actually the younger brother of her stepfather, which is kind of weird. <gasps> basically her uncle um and she had five kids with him and then he died and joyce married catherine's father and also had a boatload of kids with him and due to that this family started having some serious money problems because edmund as a third son he had no money to feed this like this like brood of children he had started like collecting um also a uh, fun fact before we get into catherine's early life catherine was actually uh, very closely related to uh anne boleyn and jane seymour um anne was catherine's uh first cousin uh since catherine's father was anne's mother's brother um you guys know how, how first cousins work i'm sure <laughs> um, and as for jane seymour catherine and jane's grandmothers were sisters which i think is pretty cool that you can like connect like um henry VIII's like wives that he got from nobility like so closely because like obviously with their like different surnames you wouldn't think they're related but like they totally were which is cool Okay, so in about 1528, uh, unfortunately, Catherine's mother uh, died when she she would have been about four when her mother died, somewhere around there. Um, while she probably didn't know her mother well at that point, uh, from what I read, Joyce had, like, she was, like, a domineering bitch. <laughs> like, she loved all her children, like very much but like she was a, she was a helicopter mom from what i've heard so i'm sure it must have sucked for catherine to like lose her mother so incredibly young and it, it, i think that probably contributed to her um rebellious attitude later in life because you know she didn't have like really any parental supervision um after a few years at about the age of 10 her father decided to send her to the household of her step-grandmother um agnes dowager duchess of norfolk um, he did this for two reasons. One, because it was actually pretty standard for large families to send their children away to be educated well. And two, because Edmund did not have the money <laughs> for to feed so many mouths. So he had to, you know, like offset costs and send a couple of the kids away for like someone else to pay for them. So Catherine, along with uh, some of her siblings, I think like two brothers and a sister and a handful of cousins moved into uh, Lambeth Palace to start their education. Now, we have got to talk a bit about Agnes, Dowager Duchess of Norfolk, uh, aka Catherine's step-grandmother, to, you know, like, kind of get a sense of the kind of household Catherine was walking into, because it's really the time, her time at Lambeth Palace that, like, sets the tone for her entire life. So, Agnes, she was a pretty traditional lady for the time. She wasn't really into the new idea of, like, educating women well in things like languages or philosophy like Anne Boleyn's parents were like really into um instead Agnes like took the more traditional approach to educate women and like the many other wards that were under her care 
Uh, one thing to note is that Agnes's household was fucking huge. I mean, she had tons of the poor Howard and non-Howard relatives living with her. And because of this, Catherine lived in like a dormitory style way with like often two or three girls like sharing a bed, which sounds awful for like, like Catherine's a Howard. Like <laughs> she's basically, this is essentially like noble poverty for her. Like imagine, I can't imagine sleeping with like two to three other girls like in my bed now as a result of this i'd say catherine had like some of the worst education of all of henry's wife like if i had to rank who was the worst educated it would probably be catherine howard and like obviously that's not her fault but like uh. uh she was mainly taught about obedience good manners social graces and household management rudiments uh we also know that she could in fact read and write and she loved dancing and music uh but would often goof off and tell jokes at lessons because she wasn't really serious about her education uh it was noted that she was not academically inclined but she was charming and beautiful which you know back then could be an asset to someone without many education so you could marry up um okay before we move on let's talk about what she looked like now the most well-known depiction of catherine is like these two hans holbein portraits that have been identified as as her but like in recent years this has been like disproved including the one i'm using like on the show art to like show her it's probably not her but like it's the best apparent depiction we have of her but um just because we don't have any actual portraits of her doesn't mean we don't have descriptions of her as a child and a teen because we absolutely do now the description i read of her kind of reminded me a bit of like when i talked about anne boleyn uh, because Anne Boleyn had, like, some, like, really dark and warm features, so I feel like it must have been a Howard trait to have warm features, because Catherine had, like, dark auburn hair, like, it wasn't, like, bright, like, it was, like, like a, like a rusty brown, like, red. Um, she did have pale skin, unlike Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn had, like, more olive-toned skin, but Catherine had very dark eyes, like, dark brown eyes, which... Also, Amberlynn had very dark brown eyes, so I, it must be a Howard trait to, like, have dark features. Just just saying. Maybe it's, like, a Culpepper thing to have, like, bright red hair. Who knows? Oh, also, as far as I read, she was, like, pretty, like, petite. Like, she was, she was fairly short and fairly petite, so that might have also been good. And also, it reminds me a lot of Amberlynn because they, they talked about how petite um Anne Boleyn was now all in all I, I feel like Catherine shares a lot of traits with her cousin Anne Boleyn and that's gonna become uh very hauntingly eerie as we get uh further into this story trust me okay so now I have to iterate that life under the Dowager Duchess's roof was not it just, it just wasn't organized, like, in the slightest. Like, because of this lack of supervision, many of the girls that Catherine was living with would, um, how do I put this slightly, um, entertain men in their beds. You can't see the quotes that I'm putting up because you can't see me, but they're very big quotation marks. <laughs> Um, most of these girls that would entertain men in their beds weren't any older than 18, for the most part. Uh, these girls would steal wine and food for their gentlemen callers, and it was so easy for them to get into this palace, because no one was fucking watching these kids. Now, Catherine, at a young age, I mean, she was in this place for, like, six or seven years, I think, from the ages of ten to the time she was nearly, like, a, 
in the middle of her teen years. She was incredibly influenced by these older girls that she was living with. It's still not known if she was entertaining men like this at a young age, but one of her first serious relationships started a few years into her living there. Now, as I mentioned before, Catherine adored music, and being musically inclined was something many people at royal courts enjoyed. They loved it if you were able to play music. So, in 1536, when Catherine was about 13 or 14, uh, she was being taught music by a man named Henry Maddox, who was about 20 years old. Now, we don't know the exact details of the relationship or really how close they were, but we are pretty sure they never had sex, so yay. (laughs) Uh, But they were definitely um, really into each other, and, you know, maybe it would have gone farther if the Dowager Duchess hadn't found out about the whole thing and kicked Maddox to the curb because, you know, no step-granddaughter of hers was going to marry a fucking music teacher. Like, I feel like Agnes had a lot of faith that Catherine could go really far in court because she was really pretty. Um, Still, it didn't take long for Catherine to get over Henry Maddox and find a new boo, a new boo thing. Um, But this one was much more serious than Henry Maddox. In uh, 1538, when Catherine was probably 15, uh, she would have met Francis Derham, who was a part of her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk's household, and guys, she fell head over heels for this man, or, you know, at least that that's what it looked like. You have to remember, Catherine was a teenager, and uh, Francis was about 25 going on 26. Uh, so he he was almost definitely grooming her to, like, sleep with her, which, you know, he achieved in their one-year relationship. We're almost sure that they slept together. Uh, they were together a lot at night, and it was reported they used to uh, call each other, like, husband and wife. And, like, no one's sure if it was, it was just, like, a joking thing or not if, or if, like, they were actually planning on getting married. Uh, some people think Frances had ambitions to marry her. I mean, she was Howard after all, even if she had no money, like her name could still bring him a lot of prestige. Um, he even let her manage his money, which I found funny because I wouldn't trust a teenager with my finances. I don't trust myself with my finances. Why would I trust a 15-year-old with my finances? Anyway, um, after about a year into their relationship, uh, Catherine's former flame, Henry Maddox, got really, really pissed off at the relationship between Catherine and Francis. And um, he sent Catherine's step-grandmother like this like super anonymous letter being like um hey you didn't hear this from me but that francis durham guy is fucking your granddaughter Catherine. you should you should probably do something about that and obviously like henry maddox did this so grandma ma could catch them and oh boy did she uh the dowager duchess caught them like totally red-handed in bed and uh Agnes was like, "Mm -mm," and uh, sent Francis away to Ireland. Now, apparently, before Francis left, uh, they would agree. They both agreed that they would probably get married uh, when he came back. But as time went by, Catherine realized she didn't want to settle for the first guy who got into her pants. Especially uh, when that same year she got the job of a lady in waiting at the English court. Now, Catherine was about 16 when she arrived at Henry VIII's court in 1539. She had been very, very lucky to secure a job as lady-in-waiting to Henry's fourth wife, Anne of Cleves, uh, thanks to her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk's uh, influence at court. Now, uh, Catherine's position as lady-in-waiting to a queen would have been a really fantastic opportunity for her to, like, 
make her mark on court as a young person. Like, being a young person at court was a great thing to, like, you know, have good marriages, have good connections, stuff like that. Now, we have discussed ladies in waitings before, but I'll discuss them again if this is your first time listening to my show or if you, know, just don't know what a lady in waiting is. Now, if you wanted to make your mark as an important lady in court, working for the queen was pretty much the best way to do this. Like, basically, Catherine's responsibilities would have been to be basically a paid best friend for Anne of Cleves. Catherine would have spent time entertaining Anne with singing and music or doing sewing circles. Uh, Catherine would have been responsible, along with the other ladies, for managing Anne's correspondence, like reading her letters, passing them on to Anne, as well as being like a, like almost like a go-between from Anne to anyone who wants to talk to her. So all in all, very important position. And if you got the Queen's favor, you could go very far in life. Now, the second Catherine got there, she was ridiculously popular at court. After all, she was young, pretty, vivacious, and she just had this, like, she she brought this bright light into this, like, really aging court of Henry VIII. And, you know, because of this light, uh, Henry VIII started taking a real interest in Catherine, which, uh, as we have learned from the first four times Henry has done this, it's not going to end well. Now, if you recall from the Anne of Cleves episode, uh, Henry was pretty miserable in his marriage with Anne of Cleves at this point for obviously no particular reason. <laughs> um, and he was working on a way to get out of the marriage without starting a war with Cleves, because that would not have been fun. And Catherine, he figured, was the perfect replacement for Anne of Cleves. Now, Henry, at this stage in his life, was fat, pushing 50. And he was thinking, hey, you know, certainly, <laughs> I don't know why, <gasps> getting involved with a teenager will fix all my life problems, said every middle-aged man ever. <laughs> So that's exactly what Henry did. Now, by the 1540s, Henry had pulled out his usual women playbook by sending Catherine presents. Uh, but this was a dangerous game that Catherine had no idea about. She was just really flattered that she was getting all this attention from the king and she liked it. Uh, but her relatives were a little more nervous. Now, remember that Catherine Howard and Anne Boleyn were first cousins and had the exact same uncle who had watched Anne Boleyn rise up very, very high and then crash and burn after she got her head cut off. So the Howards were, they were pretty out of favor at court, but with Catherine, they thought, hmm, maybe, maybe we could try this again and see how it turns out. Now, as much as I love Catherine, she was no Anne Boleyn. Catherine was a younger, she, she was much younger than Anne, uh, hardly literate, and she did not understand the complexities of playing the dangerous game at court, which was a very precarious game to play. Still, the good news was that she was impressionable enough to let her uncle actually do the dirty work, because as we all know, he was good at that. So that's what happened. Norfolk pushed Catherine towards the king so much that Henry like actually got like pissed off if anyone questioned Catherine's maturity or anything about her. Um, Henry called her the very jewel of womanhood, and he apparently famously called her his rose without a, without a thorn, but it's also pretty likely that he never said that about her. It, it may just be a myth, but I, I still like that concept, his rose without a thorn. Now, around this time, um, a guy named Thomas Cromwell, who was the lead, the lead courtier who um, encouraged Henry's marriage, Anne of Cleves, um, he suddenly became Henry's public enemy number one. Um, and after Henry was able to su successfully annul his marriage to Anne of Cleves, he had 
Cromwell arrested for being the person who arranged his marriage to Anne of Cleves, and then he and Catherine were very, very quickly engaged. Just, you know, to big fuck you to Cromwell. Now, not to mention it's pretty likely that uh, Catherine and Henry had already slept together. You know, it j- just seems like something that would happen. So it was probably actually just like a really good thing for Catherine's reputation to marry Henry at this point. Now, her and Henry got married on the 28th of July in a small private ceremony at Oatlands Palace in Surrey, England. And I could do not on that exact same fucking day. Henry made sure to have Thomas Cromwell executed at the Tower of London, which, you know, you know, beheading is always, you know, a very festive way to start a new marriage, apparently, you know. <laughs> okay, it's time to talk about Catherine as queen. Yay! So, you know, Catherine's time as, as queen of England was very, very short, uh, but it's also, like, an essential part of her downfall, so let's talk about it. Now, you know, Catherine was never formally crowned as queen by Henry, which, you know, could mean he wanted to wait until him and Catherine had kids to officially crown her like he did with Jane Seymour and Anne Boleyn. However, it was also equally as likely that Henry just, like, couldn't afford the ceremony to have her crowned, like, at all, because he was, uh, at this point in his life, still fighting a pointless uh, dick measuring contest with the King of France. So, you know, it was probably more of a, of a money issue than a lack of children issue. Um, also, just like queens before Catherine, uh, she chose a motto as queen. And by chose, I mean it was probably chosen for her. Um, Catherine's motto was, no other wish but his, or it's also been translated as no other will than his. Which, you know, I, I feel like is very on brand for what they were trying to portray Catherine. You know, like, as, like, this demure, pretty girl with, like, no political ambitions. Like, she was just there as a decoration. Now, Catherine's job was pretty simple as queen. She amused the king and distracted him from, like, literally everything because, you know, believe it or not, it was actually pretty stressful being Henry, you know, especially after he executed Cromwell because Cromwell was a top-notch fucking advisor. And Henry also realized after he executed Cromwell that he made a big fucking mistake executing the guy who had been, like, handling everything for him for years. Also, uh, not to mention, Henry at this point had some pretty... severe health issues that contributed to his bad mood uh but it seemed that Catherine was like actually like a huge help to Henry um Henry and Catherine I actually kind of liked their relationship like for the most part like they were very physically affectionate in public and she just like brightened his mood which is, is like probably the only positive part of their whole relationship like obviously it doesn't end well but like I like the fact that like they were like kind of happy you <laughs> know that's kind of nice Now, the first few months of Catherine's marriage were going pretty well for her until they weren't because um, old ghosts were coming back to haunt her. Um, In early 1541, a woman named Joan Bomler showed up at court looking for Catherine. Now, Joan was one of the other girls who had been educated under Catherine's grandmother's roof and because of this, knew pretty much everything about the um, debauchery (laughs) that had gone on in gone on at Lambeth, which was a pretty severe is- issue for Catherine's reputation as queen. Now, basically what Joan did is she strolled up to Catherine and was like, hey, if you don't put me on your staff, I will literally tell everyone about what you did at Lambeth. And Catherine was like, yup, cool, <laughs> and hired Joan on her staff. Um, in August of that same year, Francis Derham showed back up to court after finishing his uh, quasi-exile in Ireland. 
Um, and probably just to keep him quiet, I'm, I'm sure Catherine's uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, was like, oh, yeah, that guy. We definitely need to make sure he shuts up. Um, he was hired on as Catherine's secretary, um, probably to keep him quiet. Now, before we move on, I want to talk a bit about Catherine and Henry's relationship. I, I know I talked a bit about it before, but I want to go into, like, a, a bit more in depth. I, I think we have this image of Catherine as, like, this adulterous teenager, and while I wouldn't say that's necessarily untrue, I think Catherine, like, really appreciated Henry's affection for her. Um, I don't think she loved him, like, super romantically or anything. It, it wasn't really her way. I don't really think she understood love like that. I think Henry was, like, obsessed with her in the same way he had been obsessed with other women in his life. But as I said before, I also think Catherine made him, like, feel young again. And, you know, considering his age and health issues at this point, I think, like, they both fulfilled something for one another, even though it ended terribly. I think the relationship was, like, you know, kind of cute for a while. Like, they, they, they fulfilled each other's needs. And they made each other happy. So, you know, that's, that's good, I think. Now, uh, speaking of Henry, let's talk about uh, Catherine's relationship with Henry's children. Now, Catherine had a pretty poor relationship with her oldest stepdaughter, Mary, for several reasons, mainly because Mary did not like that Catherine had overtaken Anne of Cleves, who Mary had, like, liked, like, more than most of her other stepmothers. Uh, not to mention the two women were, like, caught marrying Catherine were opposite personalities. Oh, also, Mary was older than Catherine, so that was a little awkward. Like, you, you can't possibly be expected to treat a person who's younger than you as your stepmother. Like, now, as far as I have read, Catherine had, like, an okay enough relationship with Elizabeth and Edward. After all, Elizabeth and her were cousins, so, you know, they had a familial bond. And, um, you know, Catherine was a warm and nice person. And, you know, Edward was a kid with no mom, so I'm sure they got along well enough, which, you know, is good. It's good that Catherine was the okay stepmom to the younger ones. Her and Mary are, like, a different story, but, like, I don't necessarily think that's Catherine's fault. I mean, she definitely was a little mean to Mary. As as I recall, I read a story that Catherine may or may not have taken away some of Mary's ladies because Mary was being mean to her, but, like, I get why Mary was being mean to her, so I don't really know who to side with on this issue. Anyway. Um, during that same summer, Henry got pretty severely sick with a fever, um, and as a precaution, Catherine was sent away so she wouldn't catch a cold. Um, and around this time, Catherine met a young man named Thomas Culpepper, and she was pretty into him, like, right from the get-go. She was like, this guy's hot. Now, considering from what I read about him, he was pretty hot, <laughs> exactly what Catherine thought, but unfortunately, he was not the best best person in the world also um if you'll notice by his last name culpepper yeah him and Catherine were first cousins which i'm sure she knew but you know it, it's <laughs> this happened a lot in nobility anyway uh back to thomas culpepper being a bad person um from what i read he sexually assaulted a park keeper's wife and murdered the villager who tried to help her so he's a rapist <laughs> Um, basically the point I'm trying to get across is that Culpepper was kind of an asshole, um, not to mention a social climber, so the minute he realized little Queen Catherine Howard was into him, he used that to his full advantage, asking her lady-in-waiting, Lady Rochford, who was Anne Boleyn's ex-sister-in-law, to help him and Catherine meet in secret. Now, I bet you're wondering whether Catherine actually loved Culpepper. Well, I'd say yeah. I feel like she loved him in, like, a really naive way because, you know, he was handsome and lavished attention on her and distracted her from the fact that she was married to the pushing 50-year-old. So, I, I think it was probably definitely puppy love, like, on her end. 
you know, after all, she was a teenager, but I feel like Thomas Culpepper was just, like, really, like, taking advantage of that. Now, in the summer of 1541, like, at the end of it, I think, uh, when Henry finally recovered from his fever, he planned, like, this big, grand northern progress for him and Catherine to, like, take together, like, as a couple. Now, this was a pretty common thing for kings to do so that the, the palace could be cleaned while the king and queen were gone, as well as letting, you know, more isolated parts of England, like, actually see the person that rules them rather than, you know, just in the coins. Um, now, this whole, like, presentation, this whole progress was, like, a massive success. And the French ambassador even heard rumors that Catherine had was already pregnant um on the northern progress which you know wasn't true but i think shows like this like positive outlook that most people had about catherine as queen like maybe this will finally end the cycle of henry going through wives nope um however there was this faction at court who didn't really like catherine or her family but you know haters are gonna hate they did the same thing with Anne Boleyn. no now, while the progress was a success, everything after it came, you know, crashing and burning down. And, I mean, Catherine's fall was seriously unexpected and swift. You, you guys will see. Okay, so let's set the scene of the start of Catherine's downfall. Now, the main architect of this whole thing was two main people. Firstly, this guy named John Lassels, who was the brother of a chambermaid who worked at Catherine's grandmother's estate. So he knew pretty much all the details of, went down, of what went down at Lambeth thanks to his sister. The other person who contributed in Catherine's downfall was this guy named Thomas Cramner, which I know sounds like Thomas Cromwell, but I swear to God they are different people. <laughs> and I know it's confusing, so I'll just call him Cramner, rather... Uh, then uh, Thomas Cramner, so you guys don't get confused. Now, he was an important advisor to Henry VIII, and while it doesn't seem like Cramner was a direct enemy to Catherine Howard, he he more or less had Henry's best interests at heart, so it was probably one of the main reasons he participated in Catherine's downfall and not because he didn't like her or anything. It's, it's the same deal with John Lassell's, although he had, like, religious motivations because he was a reformer and Catherine's family represented, like, the conservative Catholic faction at court. Um, so that's probably why he, like, revealed all this information um, to Thomas Cramner about Catherine's past and, like, an effort to take down the Catholics. And not because he hated Catherine or, or anything like that. Like, like, hate of Catherine was not the main reason she went down. Now... When Lassels knew what he knew, he went to Cramner and immediately told him, like, everything about Catherine's past and, like, the danger it could mean to, like, her and the king. And Cramner, like, collected all this information, and on All Souls Day, when uh, Henry came to Mass to pray, Cramner left a note on the pews. I don't know if you guys know what pews are. It's the seats in the church uh, with all the charges against Catherine. Now, I usually don't give Henry credit for anything. As you guys know, I'm not a huge fan of his. I think he's a giant man-child, though I understand his trauma. I understand why he is the way he is, but, you know... Um, but I have to give him credit for his initial reaction to what he found out about Catherine. When Henry read that letter with all the charges, he was genuinely fucking convinced that this letter was a forgery and it couldn't be true. Because I think he, he was sure he had found some semblance of love again. Like, after all the crap he had been through and also put himself through. And he, he just, like, literally didn't believe it. Like, he totally thought it, like, it was a forgery. And he was so hurt that he had been lied to, which I, I think 
is something anyone can understand, but, you know, Henry is still Henry, so don't feel too bad for him. Um, Henry insisted that they keep this entire thing as private as possible uh, while investigating whether or not the charges were true. Over the month of November 1541, a member of Catherine's, many members of Catherine's household were arrested and questioned about what Catherine was doing, and so was Francis Durham. Because, as I mentioned, he was a part of her household. Now, Durham was tortured for a few days until he eventually confessed to his past relationship with Catherine and the possibility that they had been engaged. He also told the investigators that Thomas Culpepper was Catherine's current lover, so he was also arrested and tortured until he confessed to sleeping with Catherine currently. Now, when Henry found out everything Catherine was accused of was true... He somehow managed to blame literally everyone else for his fifth marriage failing and not the fact that he had willingly married a teenage girl, but whatever. Now, Henry sailed to Whitehall Palace on November 5th, and about a week later, on November 12th, Catherine was arrested and stripped of her title as queen. Now, when this happened, Catherine was fucking hysterical when she was arrested. I mean, there's even this, like, story that when she was arrested, like, she managed to break free from her guards, which I don't know how she did that. She was, like, this tiny petite teenager, but whatever. And she was able to run down, like, this hallway in Hampton Court, screaming, like, for mercy and looking for Henry. And I believe that hallway is now called the Haunted Gallery because apparently, like, you can, like, see, like, Catherine Howard's ghost doing that like in Hampton Court and I swear to if that doesn't show how genuinely scared she was I don't know what does like if that story doesn't prove that now Catherine was very worried that she was going to have like the same fate as her cousin Anne Boleyn and she did not want to be executed and neither did Thomas Cremner he didn't want to execute her now Thomas Cremner was given the task of interrogating Catherine and she was very very distressed and I I caught I genuinely think Thomas Cremner like felt bad for this kid like after all Thomas Cramner had a daughter and he probably thought like god how would I feel if this was my daughter if this was my child so I think he genuinely wanted to help her now Cramner suggested to Henry that because of Catherine's pre-contract with Francis Durham she was not at fault and that maybe she could just be like you know sent away as long as she admitted to having been engaged to Francis Durham, but that's not what happened. Catherine did not understand how to deal with this, and she was worried admitting to being engaged to Francis Durham would not help her, it would condemn her. Instead, she only admitted to her relationship with Durham and that he had assaulted and taken advantage of her, which ended up not helping her in the end. Um, over the next couple of months, several of her ladies and family members were officially arrested. Um, even her super elderly step-grandmother was taken to the tower. And on December 10th, 1541, both Francis Durham and Thomas Culpepper were executed. Now, Culpepper got off easy as he was beheaded because he was at nobility. So he got the uh, easy clean death that he probably didn't even feel, not that he deserved it. Um, but because Francis Durham had such a low status, like he was basically a commoner, he was hung, drawn, and quartered, which is a super fucking shitty way to go and would have really hurt, and I, like, I mildly feel bad for him. Now, over the next few months coming into the year 1542, Henry had become less and less inclined to show mercy 
mercy to Catherine, and passed this thing called the Attainers Act, which made adultery officially treason, which made Catherine oh, super, super guilty. Now, on the 10th of February, the Duke of Suffolk arrived at Sion's house, where Catherine had been locked up at the time, to take her to the Tower of London. She was really, really nervous and weak, and had to literally be, like, dragged onto the boat that would take her to the Tower. On Sunday, she was informed that she would be executed on Monday morning, and her only request, and this is really sad, her only request was that the block that she was going to be executed on be brought to her room so that she could practice putting her head on it, so at the very least, she could go with dignity. Which, oh my god, that makes me so fucking sad. Like, this, like, tiny little teenager, like, asks for the block so that she can practice how she's going to die. That's so sad. Now, at 7 o'clock in the morning, the Privy Council members arrived at Catherine's room to escort her to her execution place. Now, funnily enough, I have to note this. Her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, who, by the way, was a part of the Privy Council, wasn't there. Because, once again, this fucking asshole had saved himself over his niece. But what else is new? He did this with Anne Boleyn. Catherine, oh god, she was so weak and frail. She had to be, like, helped, like, by guards onto the scaffold. Like, she couldn't stand like, she she couldn't breathe. Like, she was so nervous. She wanted to pass out. She, oh God, like, she was so scared. Now, there is a legend about her final words. Apparently, she proclaimed her love for Thomas Culpepper, saying she would have rather died as his wife. That's not true. Her death speech was very, very short and quiet. Basically, the sentiment she expressed, she basically said she regretted betraying the king and talked about how well he had treated her and that she deserved a thousand deaths for displeasing the king um after her short speech where god no one could hear her in the crowd she laid her head on the block and she was beheaded via axe which i'm glad they did it in one swing because it would have been very brutal if the executioner missed after Catherine died, she was laid to rest at the nearby chapel of St. Peter and Vincula, where her cousins Anne and George Bullen were also buried. Okay, so getting into legacy. Now, while Catherine didn't really have the chance to do much as Queen of England, after all, she was only queen for 18 months, barely a year, and she was just a kid, I think her legacy was that she was basically a sacrificial lamb to Henry VIII's cruelty and to a religious war she had no possibility or way of understanding, and she paid the ultimate price for her family's second chance and ambition. It's so sad because she genuinely seems like she was such a, like, a bright and happy person like she just like really deserved to have the, like the most boring marriage ever where she liked her husband and she just had like a whole bunch of kids and she got to be like this grand lady of some great house like that's all I wanted for her and now here we are like she she was just like the sacrificial lamb for her family's ambition and like for Henry VIII you know getting the chance to knock off another one of his wives which is very, very sad. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I will see you in two weeks for a new episode. And thank you for joining me for the start of season four. Woo! Bye, guys! 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMasonRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.